From the Twin Cities PBS Archives, a conversation with Anne Bancroft, originally broadcast in 1991. She believes in pushing herself to the limit physically, but says the biggest barriers have been psychological. She is the first and only woman to reach the North Pole by dog sled. Her current goal is to lead a woman's expedition to Antarctica. With us on Portrait, Anne Bancroft. Why did, uh, did Will Steger ask you to uh, join him on the trip uh, across the, uh, the north? <laughs> I'm not sure entirely. Um, I, think, I think Will was looking to eventually to have um, women or a woman on his trip. I, I think originally, years before it ever got off onto the ice, it was designed to be an all-male trip. Um, and I think there were a lot of reasons for, for changing that. Um, I think the obvious one is that it's high time to um, broaden your base and, and to, to open your door to more diversity and, and what that diver the strengths of that diversity. But why you particularly? Why me particularly? I think I'm, I'm guessing uh, why I was selected. I, I have winter skill background meaning that I, mm -hmm. I do a lot of winter camping. I also cross-country ski, which is an activity that we would utilize on the ice. I had no dog sledding background, and I actually did not pursue a spot on the team because I thought that that would really be the driving force on why someone would choose an individual for a trip like this. I think Will has um, an uncanny ability to select um, a variety of people on his team that work well together. Mm -hmm. I think he looked at my personality as a personality that could fit in with the existing seven members. I was the last person chose, chosen and um, it's uh, no, now having just put together a team I know that that's a very difficult position to fill because you have to have that person fit in with a team that already exists in a sense. Um, I think he had certainly chatted with a variety of people that he knew that knew me and right. had traveled with me. And um, Hadn't you saved one of his friends at one time? Well, my, I had a climbing partner on Mount McKinley and mm -hmm. um, who did happen to be an old sledding partner of Will's. And um, as happens many times, I think, in the out-of-doors, um, mishaps occur. Um, this individual got hypothermia, and uh, we were fortunate enough to get down um, Denali safely. You and, and him together? Yes, and uh, the, the twist is, is that I helped him out at that moment, and on that day when he was ailing and in, in serious trouble, um, and then the following day, um, after he had recuperated some, we were continuing on down the mountain and I fell. And he got me out of hot water, um, which is usually the case. Um, it's, but it's gotten a lot of publicity, right. and uh, he, he handles it well. But I, that story was told to Will, and Will went to this individual and said, what is she like to travel with? Right. And not just what are her skills, but you know, really, what is it like to be in close proximity with her for a long period of time? And I imagine he had things to How does she handle stress? Yeah. 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 So I, I think that those are some of the things that, you know, really helped him mm -hmm. choose mm -hmm. all of us. Right. 
What do you think uh, was the biggest lesson for yourself coming out of the North Pole? What did you learn most about yourself? Boy. That is a very hard question. I, I would guess that uh, I learned so many things um, about myself, but I think that uh, that really what I learned is that I'm able to put up with um, an awful lot of um, physical discomfort and also emotional discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, that on this trip, because of the nature of the trip itself, I, um, the length of time in which we trained together and in the places in which we trained, they were very remote. Um, I didn't get a lot of support in the way I normally do from friends and family. and. Uh, I really had to rely on myself, um, and I wasn't sure all of all of the time that I was going to be able to finish this trip. Why? What were your doubts? Oh, I was doubting the fact that I was the smallest physical member. I would get hung up on that. Um, you know, intellectually, I knew that that it's not where my weakness um, would hold me back. That that would not be the element that would hold me back from the pole. But occasionally, I would have doubts about that particularly when I would be sitting next to the largest member who was, um, you know, my extreme, when he was 200 pounds, six feet tall. Mm -hmm. um, so I doubted that occasionally. Um, it, was, it was learning how to, to get through those, those times of self-doubt. And, uh, and I, I really, I think that that, it, that was one of the harder things that I've ever done, physically and emotionally together. I mean, it was sort of the double whammy trip, it, and, and I survived, and... Um, well, why do you want to do it again, then? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, what are you going to learn this time now? Oh, there's always tons to learn about yourself. Can you do it again? This trip is very different. Uh, it's remote. Um, I'm the leader of this trip. I'm, I'm learning um, things about myself in that capacity mm -hmm. that I didn't have a chance to. So it's a new challenge. Mm -hmm. How do you think uh, it will be different having a, a team that is made up exclusively of women? Well, I, I'm about to discover that. Mm -hmm. um, one of my hopes is that we communicate really well and that be, we become not just a working unit, a well, a, sort of a well-greased wheel in terms of the skills to right. get us across the continent right. safely and successfully. But I really have high hopes that um, we can go across this continent and really take care of each other emotionally as well. Uh, it's something that I sometimes find lacking in big trips. Um, and I'm not sure why the bigger expeditions tend to um, fall apart that, with that element. That's not generally how they're designed. It's not their purpose. It may be that they're more job-like and you tend to put up more barriers and you're out there doing a job and uh, there's an awful lot at stake because of sponsorship, etc. Um, so therefore the human interactions somehow get uh, tighter or more they, rigid? Yeah, and these cold temperatures help that happen. Right. Um, they exacerbate the whole situation because you're wearing a face mask, you're exhausted. Um, the only time that we'll be able to really communicate, for instance, on this upcoming trip, because we'll be in single file, is during 
um, short breaks, um, and whomever you're living with in the tent as you're cooking the meal. As soon as the meal's done uh, being prepared, the stove goes out, you eat, and you get in your sleeping bag. It, these trips tend to be very, um, uh, they're very much a team effort, but they're, you're, they're also very much of a solo activity, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you're, you're within a lot. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of work to, to, to communicate. And I think it's a lot of work to, to and I, well, I find this here in the city just with my friends and my family, um, it's, it's a lot of work to be intimate and to, to go beyond just the, you know, the, the daily communications to really get to know each other and, and therefore take mm -hmm. care of each other. When you're doing so much other work, it's hard yeah. to do that piece as well. And, and that's one of our hopes and objectives in this trip. I think as women, we probably have an advantage in that I think we're a little bit more socialized to be more emotional, to be mm -hmm. more vulnerable emotionally. But I have seen women, um, an all-women's group, uh, shut down, just as I have an all-male group. Mm -hmm. So I think we have the potential as humans to do both. I, I guess the thing that really kind of captivates me is the, this, the need to go to such extremes to, to be testing yourself and pushing yourself and trying to find out where the edge is. I mean, what do you think that, that, um, that uh, comes from? Well, I tend to think it's a human condition because um, I think we're all doing it for the most part. I think my arena is different. It's, it, I think it's different for a majority of people. Um, I can't conceive of individuals who do it in the business world, for instance. That to me is very frightening, it's very foreign, um, it's very unappealing. Um, this is an arena where I do excel. Uh, it's, a, it's a place where, as I'm physically and emotionally um, putting myself out there and, and going to other places, um, these kinds of places, um, I'm stretching and growing as an individual, but I'm also, I'm very comfortable there. Um, at, that's, that's my, my bailiwick, that's what I do well. If you put me in a different situation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to feel way out there and that I'm living on the edge, that I'm doing something that is much, much riskier. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't fear for our lives on a daily basis, um, as most people expect. Did you ever fear for your life? Oh, occasionally, okay. when the ice opens up, moves as you're on it, uh, mm -hmm. you're nervous. If you're climbing and you fall, you know, your thoughts are racing through your head. Um, but I, you know, I think it's, it sounds trite, but I think it's far more dangerous to travel on 94 or Highway 12 mm -hmm. at rush hour. Um, that my odds are better out there. It is, it's dangerous because it's remote. Um, but the physical dangers that present itself to us are minimal. Um, what, about, what about the emotional dangers, I mean, of, of, of at some crisis, not being able to get yourself across that uh, that obstacle, that that chasm, you know, that emotional chasm. I mean, aren't there emotional dangers too? Well, I, I suppose that there are. I um, I feel like I'm very calculated in the in the challenges that I take on, and that um, I do them in sort of a step fashion, and that uh, you know. It's, it, Putting together a trip to Antarctica for me is a step. 
that I wasn't ready to do that five years ago, three years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly not before the North Pole, that I have been um, progressing with my skill level and with my knowledge, um, and that I would put myself in emotional and physical danger if I were to uh, dream too big too fast. And, and, um, and that's really, a, a, I think, a bit of, of knowing yourself pretty well and, and, and recognizing that uh, challenges need progression and, and a, a sort of a due process. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel that I'm extremely safe in what I do and, if, and that longevity is, is really um, sort of my testimony to that. The longer I'm doing these kinds of things and the, and, and, uh, the people that I travel with, I, I choose very, quick, very carefully. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that Will is still doing these things. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, if you recognize those things, I, I don't feel that there's a tremendous emotional risk. It's, it's a little bit scary to know that you're going to be putting yourself out, um, and you're not sure what those obstacles, those emotional obstacles certainly are, and, and how you're going to be able to handle them. But that's a daily thing, and that happens here in the city. Um, it just doesn't happen on the Arctic Ocean, and you don't have to take on huge physical and emotional trips, and you don't have to go on an expedition mm -hmm. to have that happen. Mm -hmm. That can happen today. Mm -hmm. when, when you came back from the North Pole and were in the public spotlight, you also made a, another decision, which was to come out into uh, the public at large. What was that decision like in that process in terms of it being a... Uh, another thing for which you needed a certain amount of courage to mm -hmm. go into the unknown. Well, I think the initial courage came when I came out to my family, mm -hmm. and that was before the trip. Um, uh, and that gave me whatever courage. I mean, after that, then I don't feel like it took a tremendous amount of courage um, to continue living as I've always lived, um, but to sometimes address the question publicly. Um, it was somewhat frightening at first. Um, well, how about first with your family? I mean, what was the most difficult thing about that? The difficult thing about that, I think, is that I, I'm a, I think inherently I am a pleaser. I, I don't um, want people to feel um, poorly about me in any way, shape, or form, even if you don't know me. And, um, I always thought that that was looked upon as being such a negative thing. Um, and I was nervous about my family being disappointed in me, or, or that maybe, actually, that I would disappoint them. And, you know, I knew that they wouldn't reject me, or, and I, I really was pretty sure that they, they were pretty knowing mm -hmm. about this particular part of my life and, and who I am. Um, what, what is, so horrible about all of that is the secrecy and and the alienation that that creates with your friends and family so it it was such a tremendous relief for me to to be able to be totally honest with them and to let them in to that part of my life to share that and um, and once this that secret was shared with my family and my friends um, I no longer felt the fear um, it, it, it wasn't an earth-shaking event, mm -hmm. um, and uh, 
it really dissipated the fear for anyone else because mm -hmm. those were the important people in my life. Mm -hmm. What about when you uh, came back from the, the pole and, and everyone was being greeted by their families and their spouses, whatever? Um, what was your first encounter or meeting like with, with your lover? Well, it was, it was difficult because... Because it was all out in public there? Yeah, you're, you're totally, you're suddenly a very public person. Mm -hmm. You're not ready for that public person. You didn't know you were that public person. We had no idea of the amount of people that were following this trip. We left virtually unknown with a very few people um, saying goodbye to us. I mean, it was primarily family and friends. It wasn't the general public. So that alone was a shock. Um, and then to know that, uh, you know, you're, that, the, that the person that you're involved with isn't being called up on stage with the wives, um, that there is no acknowledgement. Um, that was very difficult. Um, and that, that was a di that's a difficulty that, you know, is, has continued to some extent. Um, and it was one that, you know, uh, I think because of, uh, you know, the, I think the bigotry around uh, this issue, gays mm -hmm. and lesbians, that it was known. I mean, it was an automatic. It wasn't something that we were prepared for, or, nor had we really talked much about, mm -hmm. uh, because I really didn't think that I would be a public person. So it was, it was very hard. Um, it's amazing how you can make uh, connections mm -hmm. in a very public place um, with someone and I would do this even with my friends. I mean, I acknowledged that they were in that crowd to them, and they knew. Uh, so they could all stand back and, and not have to be in the forefront mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of people that didn't know you, mm -hmm. possibly. And it's amazing the power of that and, and how you can communicate non-verbally. Mm -hmm. I heard that you gave her your backpack, which contained all your journals. In a sense, that was, that was your heart and soul that you were you know, connecting with her again on. Mm -hmm. It was it was a way of making contact, and uh, yeah, I was giving her these journals that contained, you know, the anguish that I had gone through, the, you know, the pain that I had gone through, the joy that I had gone through. It was the story was there of the mm. last ten months, and um, that was certainly a that way was to special. do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. When you go out now and make public appearances and talk, I guess in some sense inspirational talks, whatever, um, to groups, students, uh, corporations, I, I don't know what, but um, I've also heard you say that uh, um, the ex you start talking about the expedition and then you ultimately get onto the meteor issues. What are the meteor issues that you like to get to? <laughs> then your homework. Um, the meteor issues are, for me, I think, are... are you know, how did this trip change me? How did it affect me? And, and you know, what did I learn? And they're, they're very tough to get to when you're doing a public slideshow. Um, you can touch on them. Um, it's one of the reasons that I'm struggling in trying to write a book. Um, because it, they're, they're issues that, are, that I'm still processing, that I'm still discovering, I'm still learning about. Um, you know, I learned, uh, for instance, about I, I think I had a very valuable lesson ab about how we are socialized um, as men and women in this society. 
and some of the roles in which we play. And, and being the only woman um, for such a long period of time in a very isolated place allowed for me a very unique opportunity and one that I'm, I really am thankful for. That And the, the uniqueness was is that I wasn't able to go back and get recharged by whomever I get recharged by. Um, I had to live with seven other men and 49 male dogs. Um, and for the most part, you know, I've traveled in the wilderness with predominantly male groups um, for a variety of reasons. But that wasn't a new situation to me. What was new was eight and ten months. And I did learn that there are subtle differences in uh, the way we treat each other. Um, sometimes. I had always thought of sexism as being a much more overt um, form of expression or eliminating mm -hmm. someone, uh, negating to recognize someone, for instance. I w I'm an elementary teacher. It's predominantly a female environment. Um, so I hadn't really experienced it in the workforce. Um, I hadn't experienced it in my life. Um, that I really knew about. And when I got in this situation, um, and, you know, I preface this by saying I traveled with, you know, seven wonderful men and whom I greatly respect and um, I consider good friends. Um, but they still taught me a good lesson because they, too, are socialized. Um, that we're all sort of socialized under this umbrella and it affects us differently. Um, and that I, I am also socialized, so I tend to be sexist at times, too, um, and have expectations about what men and women are capable of doing. It, it does um, come into play. And the lesson that I learned is that I did experience sexism and that that word is so loaded for people. Um, and I, so I struggled to find a different word that wouldn't offend the men that I was traveling with when I mm -hmm. would call it this. Mm -hmm. The sexism that I describe to people is, I think, very subtle. It's, I would come in at the end of the day, for instance, I, I use this story because I think it, it says it well. I had been running dogs all by myself. We tend to get strung out in, in long lines and sometimes don't see the first sled all day long. So I may, never, I may not see Will for two days, really, except mm -hmm. in passing. Um, I came in one day, having been by myself with Will's team, and I, I uh, arrived, and uh, one of the guys came up and he said, my, you're running dogs well. And this is, this is quite late in the trip. And I was quite offended by this at this stage in the game. Now, had it been a month earlier, I may not have been even noticing it. I may mm -hmm. have taken it for what it was intended, and that was to be a compliment. Um, about 10 minutes later, Joff Carroll arrives. Now, he's a huge, he's our 200-pounder. And he arrives, and he has never run dogs prior to this trip either. And um, what I found is that no one said anything to him. He came mm -hmm. in each and every day all by himself, and he was rarely acknowledged um, for his uh, skill level of running dogs and, and the fact that this was a mm -hmm. new experience. He was never complimented. He was never acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So he experienced actually what I think is reverse sexism. When I would try and address some of this, and I would only address it because it was 
a reoccurring thing over a 10-month period of time, and I would get tired of it. Um, that word sexism was, was quite offensive, um, and it was very difficult to get my point across about yeah. why that was why that was irritating to me. And yet I knew the intent, um, but the inflection was so irritating because there was somewhat of an element of surprise that I was at five, three and a half, mm -hmm. 115 pounds, running dogs pretty well. They were responding to me. Um, I think I came away with even a bigger lesson about that, and it wasn't that sexism can be subtle, be subtle, or whatever you know, the isms are. Um, but what I realized is that I, too, am socialized under the same umbrella and that I, I do participate from time to time and that if I want to um, eliminate sexism or racism um, around me, I have to acknowledge it within myself. And that trip taught me that, that I am also a product. Um, I guess that's what I mean. I need to recognize those, all those different pieces of me and, and not trash myself for having them. You know, I do mm -hmm. feel ashamed from time to time, but if I allow my feelings of, of you know, shame around occasionally being sexist, um, I'm not going to move out of that. It's going to sort of paralyze me, and I'll probably become <laughs> more so <laughs> biased. So um, I need to work first on myself, and I think that then I can, can, can address it on a broader level. Uh, I think it keeps me from being preachy. If I just talked about, you know, the guys being sexist, they're never going to be able to hear me. But if I can talk about the times when I was mm -hmm. and, and am, um, I think that they'll understand the subtleties and how they do affect each other, you know, mm -hmm. how we do um, impact each other. Well, Anne Bancroft, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for being with us tonight on Portrait. Thank you for having me. Funding for this TPT archival podcast was made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>